I don't know how you preach a sermon following that, but we're going to try. No, thank you guys for being here today. Our text is going to be Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to go ahead and turn there. We'll be there in a few moments. But my guess is that most of us have had rivalries in our life, and they are various and sundry. My guess is that some of us had that rivalry between the diet and bluebell ice cream back and forth. Not sure. Some of us, it's uh, manicuring the yard on Saturday versus watching college football on the couch, and we go back and forth. That honeydew list is still there, but I want to watch some football. And, and my guess is that probably most of us in here have had some kind of high school rivalry, and I want to get the youth group's attention right now. Yes, the youth group that's talking amongst themselves. That's right, you guys. Yeah, they were like, what's he doing? I'm not sure. He's never done this. So uh, you guys go to school here in Grand Prairie. Most of you do. What, what's your high school rivalry? Yell that out. All the Arlington schools. We're taking on all of Texas, it sounds like. Okay. Well, for me, in uh, growing up in Clarksville, Arkansas, just down the road three miles was Lamar High School. And that was our arch rival. Yeah, that's right. Thumbs down. That was our arch rival, and you know, we could almost metaphorically throw a rock and hit their stadium from where we were at. We won all the games we played, but we always had to check them, you know, make sure that they knew. We are the big brother here, not you. And even in high school, uh, the starting linebacker my senior year, and then I was the starting defensive halfback, we both liked the same girl. And uh, so that was a rivalry back and forth. Um, she kind of liked the attention, so she didn't do much about it. But anyway, that's kind of how it worked out. I went out being the boyfriend, by the way. I know. Um, but there are these rivalries that tug at us both ways, that t- tug at our heartstrings sometimes. That there are moments when you and I have things going on in our life that's trying to distract us from doing really what God's called us to do. And really, this whole series, Fix Our Eyes, is about that very idea. How do we walk this discipled walk in life? while we are getting pulled from every direction by Satan and this world to not look at Jesus. And so we started out this series talking about worship and what is worship. And it's the idea that worship is an everyday event for all of us who claim to follow Christ. It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week event. But you know what? There's something very special about this moment right here, right now. And so as disciples of Christ, we're called to come together, typically on the first day of the week, to celebrate that empty tomb. We do on Sunday because that's when, I'm getting a lot of feedback up here, Michael, I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, It might be the monitors, I'm not sure. Uh, But there are moments when we need to come together as a people of God to, to celebrate that empty tomb. And it's something special about today when I get to see you and hug you and rub elbows with you and be reminded, I'm not on this journey alone. I've got you guys walking with me. And hopefully you see that from other people as well. The second week we talked about the public confession, making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, publicly declaring that in baptism, being baptized into his name. And for most of us in this room, we probably have have done that moment. But there might be some of us here today who have said, you know what, Jesus is my Savior, but you've never been baptized. You need to think about that as part of a faith proclamation. Last week we talked about, Cale mentioned about uh, service. And we are here at Crosspoint, we we don't invite you in to live on the sideline in the game. We want you in the game. 
And so it's a call to serve not only this church community, but the community in which you live as well. We're called to look like Jesus, and that's all he did was serve those around him. We want to be those kind of people. And what we're going to talk about today is one of those uh, monikers as well that keeps our eyes focused on Jesus. Not about us, not about what we're gaining in this world, but how do we serve those around us in very specific and special ways? And Jesus, in the text that we're going to look at this morning, says that there are a lot of things that distract us in the world, but this one thing is my chief competitor with your heart. This one thing is the thing that that will always vie for the attentions of your heart, and it's called mammon. That's what he calls it in the original text. Take a look at our text as we kick things off this morning, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Can you hear the rivalry language in that text? You can't be in one spot and the other. As as many times as you and I have tried to do that in life, it just doesn't work out. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have two bosses, maybe in the workplace. Prior to ministry, I was at, uh, worked for Walmart, and that happened many times where I had two different bosses telling me two different things, and you're scratching your head trying to figure out which one you're supposed to do. It's difficult. For some of us, that plays out. I've got a boss at work, and I've got a boss at home. Which one do I, <laughs> yeah, which one do I follow? Well, we all know the answer to that question, right? There's no rivalry there, really. For, for some of us, we're trying to figure out how we live life with all of these distractions. You can't cheer for two teams, is what Jesus is saying. And in this text, it's the only place in all of the New Testament where Jesus actually declares there's God and there's this one thing, and you can't love both. This is the only place where Jesus actually talks about that. Look at the last sentence in that verse. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, your Bible probably says money like mine does. The original text there says mammon. And so we ask the question then, what is mammon? What does that mean for me? It's this Aramaic word that some translators find very difficult to translate, to kind of put, put their, their hooks around it and kind of make it something that we fully understand. Money is a word that's used often, but it's far, far too simple. I mean, is money inherently good or evil? I think most of us logically would say, no, no, it's very neutral. What you do with the money, that that could turn out to be good or evil one way or another. And some of us might say, you know, doesn't Paul address how bad money really is? And he does kind of allude to it in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6 and verse 10. Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money, have wandered far from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But did you notice what he says there? He says the love of money. He doesn't say money itself. I mean, you don't actually love money, do you? I mean, I've never been in a conversation with anyone in my 30 years of ministry as I'm interacting with them and talking about this subject matter. No one's pulled out a $20 bill and said, man, I just love the design of how Andrew Jackson's on the front of this $20 bill. Nobody's turned it around and talked about the, inc- the interest, the, the, the detail about the backside. Let's just use that word. I get ahead of myself sometimes, sorry. Talk about the detail in the back of the bill. Nobody smells the money and says, I love the smell of money. I've never had those conversations with anyone. 
What is it that we love about money? We love what we believe money will buy us. That's what we truly love. The root of that Aramaic word, the translation really is that which in someone trusts. What are you putting your trust in? And I come up with a definition for this morning. I, I termed it like this. Mammon is a false God that promises you can trust money to give you what only God can. Mammon is that thing in your life that you're putting all of your faith, your life trust in over what God can do for you. And so I'm going to give you four ideas this morning that kind of help jog our memory about things that we use in this context. And one of those ideas is security. Mammon gives us this false security. And you and I have a number that we would put in the blank. If I just had this much money, then everything would be great in my life, right? I mean, if I just had a thousand bucks, if I just had 10,000 bucks, how many of us would like a million bucks? Every hand in here goes up, right? Wow, nobody's hand went up. That was amazing. It gives us this false security. A second idea is that it gives us false significance. In other words, if, if I just had enough stuff, if I lived in a bigger house and my bank account was fat and full, then everyone would look at me and think, I know what I'm talking about. I know how to live. They would come to me. I would be noticed. Another false idea is that money is going to give me this ideal marriage. I mean, if we just had enough money, we'd stop arguing. We'd have everything that we'd need, right? We have that false lie going around in our, our head. It gives us the false promise that we're going to have peace and joy if we just had enough stuff. But I'm going to tell you two things that you probably already know. One, church, is that we have an awesome God. We truly do. I mean, I didn't really hear you guys. Are y'all convinced we have an awesome God? Thank you. But God is the only person that can ever give you the security that you long for, the status that you long for, the great marriage that you're hoping for, the great parenting skills that you're wanting, the joy, peace, and happiness that you're wanting in your life. God is the only one who can actually supply all of that. There is nothing on this earth that will give you those things. And I find it interesting, we live in the, the good old U.S. of A., and I love this country with all its problems and warts and issues that we're currently working through right now. It's a great country to live in. But on, on every piece of money that we have that we use to pay for things, what does it say? In God we trust. So every time you pay for something, you have to ask yourself the question, am I trusting in God or am I trusting in stuff? Because Jesus tells us that where your money is, that's where your heart is going to be also. Where your money is, that's where your heart is going to be also. He embellishes on this in verse 19 of our text, Matthew 19, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there's a chain linked to your heart. And it's going to follow that 
wherever you find yourself. And a treasure in this context is any asset, anything that you have to your name. It could be your bank account. It might be real estate. It could be a relationship. It could be a family member. But the Greek word that, that Jesus uses here is the word cardia, and it is chalked packed full of meaning. It means more than just one thing. It uses it also in the text in Mark chapter 12, which is the text that I used as the platform or the foundation for the book I wrote, Beautiful Interference, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's an all-inclusive, including everything in your life, kind of love that we want to give to God. It's where we're living in such a way that our trust and affirmation is for him and him alone. Jesus says, look, where your treasure is going to be, that's where your heart is going to follow as well. Now, we're all kind of in the same boat financially speaking in that most of us have a mortgage payment. Most of us have rent to pay. And that's kind of a given. We all feel like we probably need a roof over our head. Some of us have a a car that we're paying on right now. Uh, and the, ha- the halls are not, you know, uh, excluded from that idea. I looked online, and you know what the average car payment is right now in America for a new car? $650. That's the average. I mean, somebody's paying 800 bucks because they tricked everything out. I don't know what's going on there, but some of us paying 400 bucks. Some of us use our money to invest in the stock market because at some point we want to retire. We don't want to work our whole life. And that's okay too. Some of us spend money on our kids. Like there's no tomorrow. I mean, there are kids at Robin School that have a better iPhone than I do. I'm not holding that against them, but it's true. (laughs) I remember working in Stillwater, Oklahoma. The church building was right across the street from the high school. And back in the day, I remember watching sophomores come to school in the morning driving the brand new Hummer, back when the Hummers were, were a big deal. Now, I'm not asking you to sell all of those things or tell your family, no, I want to bring to light where your treasure is, the things that you invest in, that's where your heart truly is. And it's true whether you're a believer or not. You don't have to believe in Jesus for this to be a true statement. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is as well. And God knows this truth. He knows this is the one thing that really dictates the war within our heart, pulling us one way or another. Do I trust God or do I trust my own ideas and what I feel like will give me safety? And it's laced all through Scripture. I want to tell you this morning that God doesn't need your money. His kingdom and his story are going to come to fruition with with or without me and you because he's God. Scripture tells us in the psalm that he's loaded. Cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. And so as we look at this idea of fixing our eyes, we want to have the kind of life that prompts us and moves us in that direction, which is why we started talking about worship. Worship is an everyday event for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. That public confession of being baptized into his name to rise up out of those waters, being buried with Christ having our sin removed and blessed with the Holy Spirit. It's that call that we're not going to be just sideline participants. We're not just going to be consumers, but we're going to be a part of a faith body that calls us into action to to serve those around us in our community and within our church. And the one principle that we see in our New Testament that reminds us that following God requires sacrifice is this idea of 
tithing, the specific principle that we're called to as people of God. See, tithing ensures that God has your heart, not mammon. The idea that we're giving back to God of our resources is this outward suggestion that, God, I trust you to take care of me in the moment. And there might be some here in this room or joining us online, and you don't tithe them, maybe don't even know what that is. The principle in theory is this, the idea that I'm going to give, I have what I make, and I'm going to give 10% back to God and his kingdom story because I want to bless others around me since God's blessed me. That's kind of the principle in general. And some of you may not be tithing. And if that's you this morning, I would encourage you to at least start giving something. Give something of sacrifice back to God. When we hear this kind of idea in the church context, we all kind of cringe a little bit, right? Frankly, when I got, Kale and I flipped for this sermon, by the way. (laughs) I I lost. (laughs) We we don't want to talk about it either. Because it's it's getting into the personals, isn't it? It's really calling us to, to ask hard questions of ourselves. And I've heard other great guys up here, mentors of mine who have said from this stage, kind of the way that they do this to make sure that they're giving back to God is once they get paid, it's the first thing out of their check. That way they know I've given back to God. Now I'm going to learn how to live on the rest of what God has blessed me with. It directs our heart back to God living that way. Now Satan will try to scare you into holding back because he knows it, lo- it loosens the grip on mammon in your life. It loosens the ability for Satan to direct your eyes off of Jesus and onto what you're doing in your own life. Every year and a half or two years, I've helped facilitate the Dave Ramsey course here at Crosspoint. And it's a great course. You might not agree with everything that Dave has to offer, but I will say this. He is a Christian man who wants all of us to be debt-free so that we can live and give like we never have before. I believe in that principle. I have been shackled before by debt and other things where I could not effectively be a part of kingdom work. And it hurts. There are decisions that I've made along the way have made it where I couldn't help a fellow Christian who is desperately in need. And we don't want to be in that spot. But the first thing on Dave Ramsey's forms, on the budgeting form, the first thing is what are you giving to God? And then everything else falls in line. And I want to encourage you, if you're a family and you don't have a household budget, I want to encourage you to do that. To maybe sit down today or this week sometime with your significant other and discover where are we spending money? What what does our life look like? Could someone look at our finances and declare, oh, these people are believers? It's a uh, a great idea to do just as a family unit to kind of look at that. Now, some of us might be saying, you know what, when I start making more money, that's when I'll start giving to God but that's just mammon talking in your life. That's just Satan trying to pull your eyes off the trust that you can have in an, in an incredible God. And if we decide to trust God and give back, we might ask the question, well, will this strengthen my faith any? And in 30 years of ministry, I promise everybody that I've ever talked to about this subject matter, and I've asked this question, do you feel like you're a stronger Christian because of? And every time it's yes. I have grown and matured in my faith. Because I made a decision to trust God with the resources that he's blessed me with in my life. I've never met one person who said, yeah, you know, I, 
I turned everything over to God. I started giving to God, and it totally ruined my life. I've never met anyone with that story. No one would ever come back and say that. Here's what God promises in Scripture. He says, I guarantee if you trust me, if you love me, if you give back toward me, I can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. That's what God says in his word. And it takes trust. And it takes a heart for God on our parts to trust that he's going to take care of us. Generous giving is a great starting point, and it doesn't necessarily have to stop there. I know I've already said this, but I want to be in a spot where I can live and give like no other person. I want to be the kind of person that's available in a moment like David described this morning. I would love to have that opportunity in my life. Three commitments that Robin and I have made in our life, and when we got married over 31 years ago, she came into the relationship with no debt, and I brought some debt into the marriage. She decided to marry me anyway. I was so grateful. What a blessing. But three things that we decided to do when we started our journey back walking with God, three things. Number one is that we're always going to give. As best we can, we're always going to give. Secondly, we're going to work toward being debt-free. Thirdly, we're going to help people every chance we get. That's what I want to encourage you to do in your own families moving this day forward, is that you would adopt those three principles, that you would make a decision, we're going to be a family who gives back to God. We're going to be a family who, who's working toward being debt-free so we can live and give like we never have before. We're going to be a family who helps people who desperately need our help. And this message today is not the prosperity gospel. I don't want you to get that mixed up. It's not we give so that we can get blessing from God. Although if you give with the right heart, that's exactly what's going to happen. God is going to bless you immensely in your life when you trust him in your life with the stuff that he has in store for you. He wants to give you that blessing. Here, here's what happens. When you make a decision as a church to give back to God, when you make that decision, we get to put Bibles in public schools in Eastern Europe. When you make a decision to give back to God, it opens the doors every Tuesday night for a thing we call Celebrate Recovery right here in our youth room next door, where people come in who are trying to kick their habits and their hang-ups and trying to discover hope in Jesus Christ. When you make a decision to give, you help support orphans in Kenya, Africa. When you make a decision to give, you help fund a, a, a church in Campamento, Honduras that is changing the landscape of the community in which they live. When you make a decision to give, you change the lives of family right here in Grand Prairie. When you make a decision to give, the graves get a new van. When you make a decision to give, you change the lives of people. And in doing so, God blesses you more than you ever could have hoped for. That's the kind of God we serve. And so the challenge this morning is that you and I would have that mindset in life. That we would trust God with every piece of our life, not holding anything back. I'm going to go ahead and ask our, our uh, elders and their wives to gather along the wall of this room. And as we sing this next song, there might be somebody here in this room who, who you're thinking, man, I've got some anxiety in my life. I've got some things going on. I want to get my heart moving in the right direction. Go find one of our shepherd couples and let them pray for you and over you that, that whatever's going on in your life would be released and relieved and you could see the promise of God. For some of us in this room, we've got a celebration. 
And so go find one of those couples and tell them how exciting things are in your life because of what God is doing in your life and let them celebrate with you as well. So right now, as one family of God, with one voice, let's stand and praise his holy name.